Welcome to That 30 Show, a podcast where we talk about the good, the bad, and the surprising parts of our 30s. I'm G, and I'm almost 30. My 20s are filled with milestone moments from graduating university to starting a career and moving out for the first time. I'm mostly excited about what this next decade will bring, and I've got an overwhelming feeling that the best years are yet to come. And I'm David. I'm already in my mid-30s. I used to have no back pain or trouble sleeping, but now I live off a healthy diet of self-help books and dream of being in bed by 10pm every night. Join us each week as we try to figure out together what life in your 30s is all about. Welcome back to that 30 show. <laughs> Beat I, you I to a cheat. I always want to say happy Sunday, but today is not Sunday. We're recording on a Friday night, so that's unusual. Yeah, I think it might be the first time we're recording in the evening. So if I'm not as sharp as usual, that's because my bedtime is fast approaching. As everyone knows who listens to the intro, I do dream of being in bed by 10 p.m. So <laughs> that's right around the corner. That's true. When we release this episode, I'll actually be on a, a mini trip, just a weekender with uh, some friends. My partner and then and I are going with uh, another couple, maybe like their last trip before they start a family because the wife is pregnant. Oh. Last summer, I also went on a trip, a couple's trip with um, another couple who had a like a one-year-old. And then now this oh summer, I'm going with someone who's pregnant. So... <laughs> So you I'm can't just... do like, I don't know, you can't go like snowboarding or like skiing or whatever. But I just feel like these trips are really reminding me of my age. It's just, there's no more, well, for, for you, G, I'm a few years ahead of you. So I think it's your friends are not quite there yet. But uh, yeah, either my friends are pregnant or they have a baby with them. That's my traveling life now. Yeah. So speaking of uh, families and, and kids, I, I know that, G, we've always joked about how you are so ready to be a mom. Is that still the case? <laughs> I don't know that we actually said it on this podcast. But yes, I do. You know, when I watch TikTok videos of these cute little babies, I'm just like, oh, they're so cute. I want one. So yeah, I have a bit of a baby fever. For sure. <laughs> have you always had that? Yeah, kind of. I've always like really liked kids. So yeah. but it's not until yeah. like maybe the past few years that I like, I'm like, I want one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in your inner biology that's calling to you. That's like, yeah. gee, it's time for you to birth a life into this world. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. That's, that's probably a thing, right? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I want to actually use this uh, episode to talk about is this decision that for a lot of people is is easy. But at, but at the same time, I think there is a a meaningful and significant group of people who maybe feels sometimes less able to voice out their thoughts and concerns if they don't want to have kids or if they've come mm -hmm. to that decision after a long sort of debate or struggle. I think at this age, in their 30s, it's really a big theme for a lot of us, for a lot of friends, like the decision to have kids or not have kids. And so I'm very, very excited to have a guest on today to talk about that topic. So it's going to get really personal. And so everyone strap in and, uh, you know, pour the wine or whatever <laughs> floats your boats. <laughs> Unless you're I, I pregnant. Think, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I think the topic to have kids or not is there's a lot of layers there, right? Especially for those who feel like they don't want to have kids. I think a lot of folks might feel like there's a lot of societal pressures or familial pressures to, to have kids. And when they say they don't want to have kids, it becomes this like huge uh, taboo because there's so many, so much expectation around 
um, starting a family. Maybe culturally, uh, I, I think it's uh, the obvious sort of fact is that uh, everyone on this podcast today are, are from a Eastern Chinese culture. So uh, maybe this is prevalent in other cultures, but certainly for Chinese culture, starting a family is really huge. So we're going to talk about that with our guest, but in the second half, we're also going to ask our guests a bit about parenting because they have, they're a bit of a leader in the field of early childhood education, I would say, namely in uh, those three to five-year-olds. And while she's moved on from being sort of a teacher in the classroom, uh, she does now specialize more in early childhood education leadership coaching and managing teachers. So I think she'll bring a lot of insight that maybe new parents or expecting parents can learn from. So I, I have a bit of an intro, but I think I've talked too much. I, I want to uh, welcome Brenda Ewan to the to the floor, if you will. Yay! Um, Insert like kids clapping, yeah, 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 yelling exactly. or whatever. <laughs> so much for being here today, Brenda. How are you feeling? Thanks for having me, David and G. Um, it's good. It's I'm actually on Easter holiday now. So it's been a very long term at school from Christmas till now. And everyone is really tired and run down and just really looking forward to these two weeks of term break. So that's how I'm feeling. Well, you know, waking up this morning, being like, I'm on holiday. So yeah, Yay. that's my mood. Ooh, <laughs> Easter holiday. I guess that's kind of like yeah. the equivalent of spring break. Um, yeah, exactly. It's two weeks. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. So as I mentioned, we'll have you, Brenda, share a bit about your professional expertise later. But before that, we want to get you to share a bit about your story where you and your partner have either decided or not decided to have kids and walk us through that. But I want to tell the folks a little bit more about you. So our guest today, Brenda, she is uh, 35 years old, which is right in the middle of our show's theme, our demographic, which is so it's really fitting. (laughs) She's not a fraud. She's, she's not a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> she's actually in her 30s. She's not turning 30 this year. Um, Brenda is a lifelong learner. She's a leader, educator, a reader of over 55 books a year, every year. Wow. Uh, she's a daughter. She's a fiance. She's a homeowner in the world's most expensive property market. She's a dancer, a connoisseur of all things arts and culture, an extremely hard worker a new mom to two beautiful cats, a huge fan of stationery and snail mail, a godmother to multiple human kids, and of all the people I know personally, she's perhaps the person I admire the most. And that's not just because she is, drumroll, my sister. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have tears oh, in my eyes. A, that is a very generous introduction. Thank you so much. I've never had anyone really introduce me in, in such a way, using so many different roles and adjectives. So I'm flattered. Did I, mi- did I miss anything? <laughs> um, when you said I'm a dancer, that's, yeah, that's true. It's a bit in my past. I'm a very avid yogi now. So um, that's true. I yeah, do yeah, yoga yeah. many times yeah. a week and mindfulness, which you guys have talked about on your pod before, um, all of that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, let's let's dive right into it. Right into it. I, I yeah. know we've talked about this for a little bit, Brenda, where you said mm. that you uh, have gone on this journey to decide and figure out what your future family may look mm. like. I, I, I kind of want to start with a bigger context, if that's okay. Um, yeah, before course. we zoom into your personal story, because I have my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But why do you think mm-hmm. it is often such a tough decision whether to have kids or not, especially for those who do decide not to have kids? 
Um, so previously you touched on societal expectations, family, um, especially in you know, Eastern or Chinese cultures. That actually hasn't been the case for me. I did not feel pressure from those um, arenas. But I think the sticking point, why it's so difficult, I think, especially for people who are leaning towards not having kids is like that regret, you know, that worry that I'm going to regret not having kids. Um, And then of course, your biological clock for females is ticking. And then of course, there's that like, oh, you know, when I grow older, who's going to be around me, not necessarily to take care of me, but just like that piece of like, family, like, what is my vision? Do I envision a big family that I'm going to grow old with and make connections with? Or like, is it just going to be me, my partner, or even like just myself? Um, So I think regret is a big part of it. But I, so I see a therapist regularly just for life maintenance. And I've talked to my therapist about this before as well. And she put forward a really interesting question when I talked about regret. And she was like, well, what do you think you will regret if you have kids? She really turned the tables upside down for me because that's not Mm. something I considered, you know, so that was a really good prompt for me to think about it from another perspective. It's like the biggest what if, right? There's no bigger what if than (laughs) bringing in a life. Yeah, I mean, it's a life commitment, right? And, you know, Dave, you probably know, like our mom has always said, like, it's such a big decision. You have to be overflowing with love in order to decide to have kids because there's um, you can't give any less than that you know it is obviously life-changing so it's um such a big decision but I think throughout my journey of becoming child-free like there's been people that definitely has been helpful and people that have not been as helpful (laughs) (laughs) even though I consider all of them to be my good friends like there'll be people who keep telling me year after year oh you're gonna become like you're gonna be such a great mom you know, you're going to know what to do because you're an early years educator. And that's not helpful. <laughs> Honestly, like that's, it, that's pressure, I suppose, as well. Um, but there's also been friends who have been really helpful in the way that they just don't do anything. They just let me be. And they just listen and hear me out when I am struggling with the decision. And they're like, yeah, I'm here for whatever you decide. And they don't try to persuade me one way or another. Yeah, I feel like those I little like, comments... Yeah. People mean well, but they do, uh, really, yeah. those comments are probably not the most helpful. I think societal pressure and like family pressure is definitely a big one. So if you don't have that, I feel like it's mm. it's like lucky to not because especially around this yeah. age, we're all like talking about it a bit more because this is sort of the mm-hmm. point where or maybe – you know, for me, maybe a few years down the line where it's like, okay, at some point you have to pick and it's going to be a commitment either way. Like you either have the kid and you're committed. And if you don't, you have to commit too, because then there's a point of no return. So it's like a really big decision around this time frame. Yeah, it's huge. And I think you, you, you've nailed it in when you said it's a commitment either way. You know, if you decide to not have children, you got to commit a hundred percent and know why you're doing it to to be comfortable in your decision. I, I echo G's uh, point about how you not having those societal and more familial pressures is quite uh, a lucky thing. Mm-hmm. I was just incidentally this today uh, with uh, having lunch with some colleagues and one of my colleagues was, yeah, just sort of lamenting or ranting a little bit about the pressures that her her parents give her 
um, mm-hmm. as someone who recently ended a relationship. And then it's kind of like, okay, like, when's this ever going to happen? When are you going to have kids? When mm-hmm. are when you just, you can't just be single. You're going to, and then it, it, it is very rare that you don't have family pressure. So yeah, good, good for good for us. So I think <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know hard. if our mom has given you any pressures, Dave. But <laughs> no, me, she's actually sure. gone out of her way to tell me that she doesn't oh, okay. need or or want that. She, right. and, and that whenever she does ask about my relationships and and how yeah. it's going, it's just out of care and curiosity. But uh, gee, do 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 your parents or uh, have an expectation or hope for you to have a family? I was going to say my mom's actually in the apartment with me and I should maybe speak a bit louder so she can hear what I have to say about this. (laughs) No, but yeah, there's definitely pressure in my household, you know, to settle down, have children, things like that, which is which is all things that I I do want to. So it is pressure. But at the same time, that's also what I wanted. But I feel like if that's not something that I wanted, then it would weigh on me a lot more because that's something that Mm. my parents want. In this conversation, you guys have mentioned many times about like starting a family. And I think like that's also been something that I hear a lot, like what makes a family, you know, and it's a bit existential. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to go off too far on a tangent, but, you know, it's something that I've thought about a lot, like what makes a family, you know, if I've decided to not have children, like, is it is a family just my partner and I? You know, is can cats be your family? And definitely, pets, I was gonna you know, say your cats are, are your family. Yeah, and so it doesn't irk me that people say like, "Oh, when you have children, then you're gonna start a family," because that's just what people say. But I think mm-hmm. internally, I now have a new definition for myself: what makes up a family, and it's given me peace. You know, and it's fine. Like if other people want to use that term, starting a family, and that means children that's them, you know, and that's okay. But I've had to grapple with that phrase. I think that's a really good point. I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Because I think it's one of those things that, yeah, for me, I n- never thought twice about it. In recent years, I have felt ambivalent about uh, Father's Day and Mother's Day, because I'm thinking of all those people who don't have fathers and don't have mothers. And it's like, how do they feel? It's kind of similar yeah. to like, oh, you know, when you have the holidays or Christmas, it's traditionally mm-hmm. associated with family time. So then what if those mm-hmm. people who don't have your traditional family that you would get together with in Christmas. It's a very common term. Start a family mm-hmm. equates to having kids. But then for those who don't have kids, like you said, I'm just thinking about right now, it really resonates with me that sort of the, the maybe the negative feeling that you might feel when, when, when people say that, because then mm. you're, you're thinking, well, does that mean I'll never have a family? Does that mean I don't have a family just because I don't have kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's such a... That's such a good point. But anyway, Brenda, let's uh, put the focus back on on, on you because I want to know more about sort of your decision uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. I know that you just said you don't have family pressures or societal pressures, but it was, mm-hmm. I'm sure, still not an easy decision. So at what age and yeah. point in your life did this decision to have kids or not really come to a head? Like where when did the serious conversations about it actually start? So obviously it's been a journey a really, really long journey. And I am part of the LGBTQ plus community. And so that has a huge factor in my journey of deciding whether to have children or not. And for the longest time, when people asked, I'd be like, you know, it's too costly and it's too difficult. Like I 
the process would be just so hard. And I really thought that that was my reason, you know, and I stuck with that reason. And I would like regurgitate that every time somebody asked me until it got to a point in my early thirties where I'm like, I do have money, you know, like, yes, it'd still be costly, but I could make it happen. So it's probably not really the reason why. So when you're asking me, like, at what point in my life, I think it was my early 30s, where I'm like, I actually do have the means to look into it if I really wanted to have children. So is it about money? Or is it about the desire? But I do think regardless, like, whether I have children or not, like, it is going to be a difficult process. You know, I, um, I don't know anyone personally in the queer community that have children, but certainly in the schools that I've taught, there are same-sex families and it is harder. You know, the process is a lot longer. Um, there's not as much societal support, I suppose. So I've been with my partner for 10 years. And so halfway through that relationship, I started really thinking about it. And I've always grown up not having that urge to have children and it was the same case for her. So it was never like, okay, we got to talk about it now. Mm. Like it was never urgent because on both of our agendas, it wasn't high up there. But then of course we're like, okay, we've been together for seven, eight years. <laughs> we, we should really think about that. And then, so, and for myself personally, it was always that 5%. Like that's the number I told myself, like 95%, I was sure I don't want kids, but there's that 5% mm. of me, which I just wasn't really sure. And I would have these conversations with her every once in a while. And for the longest time, we were kind of on the same page where we were like, yeah, we're not sure. We're not at 100% that we don't want to have kids yet. And in our early 30s, like there was one conversation I remember really vividly where I revisited this issue. And unbeknownst to me, she had made up her mind. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, something changed, you know, and I didn't know. And it was a really, really hard conversation because I basically, you know, had to come to terms with the fact that she personally had decided she didn't want children. And of mm -hmm. course, it was a conversation that was um, a bit of a shock to me, but also like I had to then move on to decide, okay, if I decide to have children she's not going to be in the picture. And so it was mm -hmm. a very heart dropping moment where, okay, so my partner doesn't want to have kids, but also at the same time, I was very sure that I wanted to keep her in my life. First of all, I don't think I properly acknowledged this earlier, but I think this is a deeply personal and vulnerable topic. And even though mm -hmm. you're my sister, I don't want to take that for granted. Um, yeah. this conversation is heard by many people that you've never met. So I want to, uh, thank you for your courage and your vulnerability, mm -hmm. especially to anyone who's listening, who may also share the decision not to have kids. I think it, it is often a very taboo decision. And hopefully, even if it's the one person out there, hopefully your mm -hmm. story makes them feel a little bit more seen and a little bit more heard. I echo David's uh, comments and super appreciate you, Brenda, for sharing your story with us. And I honestly think it's pretty relatable with a lot of people because I think, especially for those who are unsure, like there are some people who are just super sure, like 100% I'm not doing it or I am doing it. But I think for a lot of people, they are unsure, you know, depending on their financial circumstances, you know, where they are in their mm -hmm. life, they're unsure. And I think a lot of the times that conversation is pushed off until like, you know, one day where you're like, okay, I actually have to sit down and have this conversation. Yeah. But I think 
for the most part, the partners are kind of on the same page, like how you were with your partner, like 95, five, it was like same page, same page, same page until one day you're like, okay, well, which one is it? Is it the 95 or is it the five that we're leaning towards? That's a, that's a good point, G. The idea that for a lot of folks, it is probably not a for sure yes or for sure no and then just navigating that gray zone and again i feel that there's a lot of pressure for someone who isn't even sure to voice that uncertainty it's like what is there to be not sure about <laughs> everyone everyone does this i think that the, your like my experiences um and my job and the people around me has helped me indirectly to make a decision as well because obviously in my early 30s my friends started having kids and I started spending time um with them and also in my job I see kids every single day and so that also was like okay I see children for you know 6 to 8 hours a day and then can can I imagine coming home to my own kids and continuing that like that thinking about that was so tiring already and then of <laughs> course spending time with my my friends kids and my godsons i would always look forward to coming home to like peace and quiet you know and so like little <laughs> things really was it really told me you know how how i might uh, veer towards one end or another how i got to the finish line really was i think i needed to go through a more systematic method, to be honest, to like decide whether or not, like I had all these anecdotal things, you know, things that were happening with my friends, but I think indirectly I was waiting for some sort of method, you know, like how am I really going to buckle down and figure out whether I want to have kids or not? So um, what happened was one day I came across a Vox article and it was written by this parenthood clarity therapist and her name is Anne Davidman. And I'd recommend anyone who's unsure of whether they want to have kids or not to go read the article <laughs> because it literally changed my life and it helped me to reach a decision. One of the main distinctions that she tries to work out with her clients is that there's a difference between desire and decision. And so a lot of people lump their desire to have or not have kids with the decision. So they might think like, oh, I really want kids. So I have to decide to have kids or I don't want, I, I don't want to have kids. So I'm going to decide not to have kids, but there's actually a lot of different scenarios that's possible there. Like you can decide, or sorry, you can want to have kids, but decide not to, or you can not have the desire to have kids, but end up having kids for whatever reason. So there's actually a lot of different scenarios that might happen. And for some people, I guess like me, <laughs> it's hard to reach a decision because you're lumping desire and decision together. And so her work is to pull those two aspects apart and really work on the desire part first. Really figure out why is it that you want children without the pressure of deciding to have them or not have them. So one of the tasks that she sets up for her clients, which I did, was to journal for five days straight, anticipating that you're going to have kids. And then you're going to journal after that five days of having made that decision that you're not having kids. So I had to journal like I was going to have kids in five days, you know. And so I, I have my journal with me. I can read you a couple of the entries. Um, we love journal readings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know Audrey was going through that, right? In the, in the yes. episode. 
Okay. So um, the first five days, I decided to journal that I am going to have a child. All right. It's coming in five days. <laughs> like I'm, I am heavily pregnant. <laughs> Expedited um, shipping. Okay, so yeah, definitely. <laughs> so this is on, on day two of my, you're having a baby journal. This is what I said. Okay, I've got to cram in all the self-care in the next several days, all the yoga, the teeth, slow mornings. I think when the baby comes, my mind will literally be pulled in a million places and I'm going to feel awful for thinking I want to do anything other than be with my baby. Typing my baby, quotes, gives me weird vibes. (laughs) That was like day two. And then the last day of journaling, like literally the next day I'm yeah. going to have a your baby. Water, your water's house. breaking as you're oh journaling. My, my water's breaking. Okay, so this is, <laughs> this is my entry. I wrote, I'm tired of journaling about this. When the baby comes, I'm going to be exhausted and just so occupied by their coos, cries, poops, that the only thoughts I'm going to have is inside my head. Probably too tired to even write them down or tell anyone else. That's it. Full stop. <laughs> so it's like you're was, exhausted before you even it was, started. <laughs> Exactly. I was so exhausted just thinking about it. And it was just so doom and gloom. You know, I realized after that. Okay, so then I jump right into the next five day cycle. Having decided that I'm not having children, I'm never going to look at my own kid and feel my heart swell when they're really into something. But then my godson video called me today and he showed me how he plays the piano and I felt my heart sing and just be really excited for him. I could tell he was really proud of what he could do. And knowing I don't have to be stuck at home with my own child 24-7 is a relief. I think about what my colleagues do with their kids on weekends and I feel tired looking at the pictures of it. So, <laughs> you know, um, and this is something like I felt often because like I'm really close to my godson. I mean, I can go into this maybe a bit later, but... It's a huge part of my life, you know, being a godmother and in a way has really filled that void, so to speak, that I might feel not having kids. And then this is day five of having decided not to have kids. And I said, I'm glad this journaling experiment is over. I think things are very clear. (laughs) That's such an interesting exercise because I the way that you framed the two different scenarios in your journal is yeah. like super telling because I could see someone else <laughs> yeah. having like the opposite, you know, feelings for like if they are about to, you know, have their baby, they could be like, oh, I'm like looking at my baby for the first time. And I'm see- like, I'm yeah. about to see see them and meet them and bring them into the world. And then like, you know, the way that you framed it is like, okay, well, yeah, there's your there's your decision. <laughs> there's my decision. I know it was super super illuminating. Sure. At the same time that I was doing this journaling experiment, I found a community online. Um, it's called We Are Child Free. They have a website and an Instagram page, and it's made of of this community of people that have decided to be child free. It started by this woman. Her name is Zoe Noble, and she's child-free and her and her partner. Um, And it's grown into um, quite a big community of people around the world that has decided to be child-free. And when I found this community, a lot of people were telling their stories around, you know, being pressured into having a child and how did they get to the decision of not having a child, why they've decided to be child-free. And one thing in particular really struck me. Uh, One person said they decided to 
not have children because they do not want to pass on intergenerational trauma. And that's not something I'm going to go into today, but um, <laughs> for, I mean, for yeah, all intents and purposes, like that was something that resonated with me. And I think though, the bigger picture is really hearing multiple perspectives of why other people the same age as you have decided to be child-free. I think that was so, so empowering. And so I think that the timing wise, you know, going through that journal experiment and finding this community of child-free people was what it took for me to reach my final decision mm. of becoming child-free. I think that's Amazing. super helpful, especially for those who maybe like all of their friends have kids and it sort of feels like a pressure on them. This is like such a good reminder that there's so many variables as to why people may not want a child. It's not just like they don't have the urge to have a child. There's a multitude of reasons. It's a good reminder to be like, okay, well, there's always people out there that can relate to you <laughs> and that you can relate to. And you just kind of have yeah. to go and find those people to empower you and just to reassure you that like it's okay to make that kind of decision. Definitely. I think a lot of people in the child-free community are originally told like that's so selfish of you. Like that's an adjective that is thrown around in the child-free community. Like you don't want to have kids. That's so selfish. You know, like you're only doing it for yourself or like it's because you want to travel the world or you want to save money. So, you know, those are your reasons. And it can be quite negative, right? Like on the flip side of, yes, you might get pressures from your family to have children, but there are also people that are not your family that will say really negative things about people's decision to, to not have children. So I think finding your tribe, whether they're people that are your close friends, or just to know that there is people around the world who have made the same decision as you for various reasons was really comforting and empowering. So I want to pivot if now, if that's okay, uh, yeah, because there's a lot of people, I think, who have decided not to have kids and maybe they're less seen than usual. But obviously, mm -hmm. as we all know, there's quite a lot of folks who do have kids and do want kids. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background and your passion and why I might be asking you for this? You're not a parent. Why would you have anything real to say about this? Right. So... I have been an early years educator for the last 12 years. So I've worked with children from as young as one and a half year old in a daycare setting all the way to five-year-olds. And I've worked with them both in Canada and in Hong Kong. And it wasn't a natural progression for a career, obviously. There's a reason why I decide not to have children and, you know, it is because I don't have like this overflowing, nurturing love for children, but you can still, there's many reasons to go into the field as well, right? But I actually majored in psychology and then I worked with kids, you know, as summer jobs. And I realized, you know, they, those two fields actually marry really nicely together. You know, having that background in psychology, it was really helpful in understanding children, but also working with families you know, and how to support families in supporting their children. And so it just came together quite naturally. I have a lot of different interests and passions that support my work. So for example, early literacy, I'm a huge reader, as you said. So literacy is a huge aspect of my work and play as well. I'm a huge play advocate and I can obviously go on for days around 
why it's so important to play. But also in my professional role right now, um, I'm a curriculum coordinator uh, at my school and we serve 390 families. And so I work with a lot of families. I work with a lot of teachers and spreading that message of how to support your children in, in all areas of child development is a passion that I have and also supporting teachers in their work and how they can communicate uh, with families. So it's a lot of working with children and adults. And yeah, so there's, I mean, people go into the field for many different reasons, but I have always found joy in continuing to learn about how children grow. So you work so with parents bit about, too? Hmm. Yeah. So I run parent webinars um, and I meet with them as well to support them to understand not just curriculum, but parenting, you know, and I think through the pandemic, it's been extremely, extremely difficult on parents, like their capacity for life <laughs> was just like the rest of us, you know, it, their patience was not as high as it would have been because they were dealing with lockdowns and with work stresses. And so in my whole career during the pandemic, they've asked for help more than at any other time. They have been more vulnerable and been able to put down that wall and say, I need help. I don't know what to do. And I don't really know what to think about this, but, you know, they've always asked me for support and advice, even if they know that I don't have children. You know, I think there is that respect for educators, for teachers, that they also know how, maybe how to parent, not parent, but like, how do children grow? How do they learn best? You know, so it, it was something that surprised me when I first came into this field. Like, I was like, who? I to give you advice like I'm not a parent you know but then they still really respected yeah our advice and that was that was interesting did you ever feel like even like imposter syndrome for your like your work because of your decision not to have kids or do you ever feel that way or how how did it affect you know your profession and your personal life if if at all yeah, that's a really good question I think I felt imposter syndrome more so at, during the first five years of my career in this field, because I wasn't a parent, you know, and they were asking me parenting questions. But I yeah. think parenting is based off of child development and how children reach milestones. And that's something I know, right? And so their mm -hmm. questions was very much around like the child's emotions, um, social skills, like how, you know, they're throwing tantrums, like, why is that? And they all have a basis in child development. And so I felt like as I progressed through my career, I just became more and more confident that like, hey, I'm not a parent, but I know my stuff. And I'm able to use that material to help answer these parenting questions. Maybe we'll touch on this later. But as you grow older, you know, into your mid 30s, that confidence piece, it, it came through for me, you know, and um, I always tell people that I coach, uh, and they sometimes come up to me and it's like, I, I want to work on my confidence. You know, I, I'm not really confident when I work with people or when I teach. And I always say like, people think that they need to be confident before they do things, but that's really not my experience. That's not really how things work. Like my tagline mm -hmm. is competence builds confidence, work on the skill, work on becoming competent, and it will make you feel confident, you know, because if you're going to wait forever until to do something or like if you're waiting for yourself to become confident in order to do stuff like it's never going to happen that line competence builds confidence is just for life 
You know, I've had people sit in my room and we're, we're doing a coaching session and then they leave telling me like, this is good just for life, like not just for my teaching. But I think this is the thing, like in all industries, right? Like what works for work can transfer into everyday life. And actually, I didn't um, have a chance yet to talk about this, but like values, you know, it, it's what has drove me in a lot of my decisions, even if to backtrack to like having kids. I think with people when people are unsure about why like whether to have kids or not, like tune into your values. Like what do you value in life? You know, if like connection is one of my biggest values. And is having children the only way to tune into that value of connection? Like not necessarily, you know, but it takes knowing yourself really deeply to be able to have values to guide all of your decisions, both professionally and personally. So in Hong Kong, uh, three yeah. to five-year-olds, which is your specialty, can yes. go to kindergarten. It's called kindergarten there. But in Canada, children of that same age can attend what we call daycare. And some, arguably many people, view daycare as babysitting. Can you help us dispel what I would assume you think strongly is, is a myth? Can you help us dispel mm -hmm. this myth and what the general public may not fully appreciate or understand about the role of education for someone so young? This is such a big question. <laughs> 10 minutes. You've got 10 wow. minutes. I, You've got 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Um, I think the, the question I'm going to throw back to you is yes. what is school for? I think that no matter whether it's daycare or it's kindergarten, whatever you choose to call it in different countries, I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding around the difference between school and learning. Learning happens everywhere. It doesn't only happen in school. And so it's like, what is school for then, right? So going back to your question of, um, you know, daycare, it's babysitting. Obviously, I've worked in several daycares when I was working in Canada. And it is a myth. And people did used to tell me this, like, oh, you're just taking care of kids, you know, but babysitting at the core of it is just making sure that children are safe and fed. That's it. So if daycare was babysitting, why do they do circle times? Why do they read stories? Why do they sing songs and, you know, dance and go to the playground? What is that all of that for? Right? If it really is just babysitting, like, okay, well, why is there? Yeah, why is there all that stuff? And so this is where the question of the distinction between school and learning comes in. I've had parent friends in Canada when their kids were reaching kind of the age of two or even one ask me like, I need to enroll my child in a daycare. Like, what should I be looking for? Or like, how do I even choose? Because I just need to put them down somewhere while I work, right? And it is really hard because I think there's so many childcare centers out there and parents don't necessarily know how to choose, you know, because they just, it, it's very basic. They just want <laughs> their child to be somewhere safe, but also to learn. And so I think like something to remember is just the science, I suppose, of brain development, right? Because it's like, yeah, there's school, but then that learning part is so important because there's so much learning that happens at home. And I think often parents forget that they, they kind of maybe outsource or think like, okay, all the learning happens at school. And then when I pick you up and we're just at home, then you're just playing, quote unquote, right? So 
when they're like zero to three years old, they actually have formed, like babies have formed 80% of their brain architecture, right? And that's huge. That's so big, you know? So like what you do in a daycare or like how you take care of them at home is massive. The choices that you make in parenting really affects how your brain grows. And then by the time they're five, literally 100% of a child's brain architecture is formed, right? So zero to five is a huge, huge, you know, really, really important stage of their development. I think that when we talk about education, if I could only talk about one area of child development and what is most important, I feel, in between age zero to five, it's the social emotional learning. And I think this is very, very challenging for parents, you know, because firstly, you've got to let go of the academics. You've got to believe that learning your ABCs and one, two, threes is not the most important thing. And I think that parents find that really hard to let go of because that is what they know how to teach, right? And that's understandable because there's no like parenting Bible, right? So instead of focusing on social emotional learning, they can buy puzzles that are like alphabet puzzles. They can work on their one, two, threes because that's what they know. And so that's what they focus on. But when you ask a parent, like, what do you really want for your child? They're all going to say, I want them to be healthy and happy. And that doesn't come from working on ABCs and one, two, threes, right? But they, but it's just easier to work on the academics than the social emotional learning. And so my, a lot of my work is to try and make it easy for parents to understand what social emotional learning is and how to do that at home. And so that really starts with socializing children with other children. And we're always trying to say like, have play dates, especially during the pandemics, like get together with other kids. But what we see a lot too is they're like, I am doing play dates. And they drop their kid off at another child's home and then they leave and they're like, yeah, yeah, we did it. We did play dates, right? But then you're not there to support the play date. You're not there to help when children are trying to resolve conflict, when they are having meltdowns because things are really challenging. I think the role that the parent plays on a play date or just being around your child more often is is so important because they're not going to necessarily learn those skills on their own. Like they are extremely capable. They are born capable, right? But then when they're having a meltdown and their emotions are all over the place, they really need someone to guide them and to support them. And I think when I talk about meltdowns, like this is what I want to say to parents, like, you need to regulate yourself. And that is so hard. And I always tell parents, I know it is extremely difficult because you don't want to see your child having a hard time. You know, as adults, as teachers, as parents, our first instinct is to jump in and fix the situation and to save them from those hard feelings because it's really hard to see them go through that. But a child needs to know and needs to feel those hard feelings and to survive them and be like, I can cope. It's not the end of life. Like I went through something really hard. That child stole my toy, but it's okay. I got through that. If you went in and just saved them from that situation, they're not going to learn those life skills of like, you know, I can survive hard, challenging emotions. So I think that for parents, I suppose, like when you experience your child having a hard feeling, the first thing is to breathe. <laughs> And be like, this is normal. Like my child needs to go through these social situations that are hard. They need to go through these challenging emotions. And the next thing is to 
Uh, I don't know if you've heard this term before, but to co-regulate. Co-regulate is basically an adult regulating their emotions alongside a child's so that you can both regulate your own feelings back to like a, a manageable level. So that might mean you're breathing alongside your child. Be like, we're going to take deep breaths together. And just like modeling that, you know, or be like, I'm just going to sit with you for a bit, right? Because the goal is not to calm them down, to be honest. It's to hold space for them. That is the goal. It's to hold space for their feelings, not to fix them. And I think this is this is the challenge. Like a lot of parents find it really hard to just sit with a crying child. This is the main message I think I want to tell parents is that like feelings are normal. They're essential. All you need to do is to hold space for them and you don't need to fix anything really. I have a clarifying question. Yeah. So you said on one hand, you want to make sure that the you're not going to fix the problem, that it's important mm. that the child learns that they can overcome and cope. Yeah. But then at the same time, you're like, you have to be there at the play date so you can intervene. I don't really understand. Okay, so for example, if they are at a play day and they are not taking turns with a toy, both child's emotions are high up there. They're crying, they're screaming, they're snatching. If an adult is not there, then they're going to feel like they're in a really unsafe environment where there's nobody to help them through this really challenging situation. And they might escalate it to then they're going to hit each other or they're going to bite each other. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you are, if, if there's an adult there and they start snatching toys, you can be like, oh, you can step in and just say and acknowledge, I can tell you really, really want that toy. Let's use our words and ask, can I have a turn? You know, and it's like that prompting that you do with that child where they might not remember because when you're, when, when their emotions are really high, they forget some of the, the strategies. They forget what to say, how to ask for a turn, you know, and then it can turn into a situation where it's unsafe, where they start hitting each other <laughs> or like, you know, banging that toy on another person's head. Yeah. So like when I say stepping in, it's not fixing the problem for them. It's guiding them through how to resolve a conflict. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 have a, I have a question as, as well. I, I don't know if maybe the insider advice you just shared is specifically, well, you did say it's for zero to five-year-olds. Have you read, I don't know, have you read Coddling of the American Mind? No, but you've told me about it. This is not unique to that book, but there's this idea that it's so important for kids to have free play on their own, where they will learn to resolve conflict on the playground with their peers. Yeah, yes. And you don't want adult intervention. Am I confusing you with, this is advice for older kids and not zero to five? No, I think this is advice for all ages, really. I think it takes a... Parents know their child best. They know what they're capable of and where their level of understanding is. You're going to step in when they don't have the skills. If they do, then they can do it themselves, like, like what your book said. But they, they don't grow to like, oh, I know how to resolve conflict with my three-year-old friend on their own. They need it to be modeled for them. They need to hear what it sounds like to resolve conflict. Most school curriculums have social emotional learning at the top of their agenda. And it's because children don't necessarily 
have the strategies to deal with their emotions. You know, like when parents say when their child is melting down and the parent says, calm down, calm down. Like it just <laughs> drives me nuts to know. Like it's so annoying to me. I try not, not to say anything, but it's like, what does it mean to calm down? The child has no idea. What does calm look like in my body? You know, what does calm down mean? How do I get there? Because when their brains, like this is, we're going into brain science again, but when they're, when their brains are really riled up, they do not have the capacity to calm down unless they are taught particular strategies. What are my options when I'm feeling super frustrated? That's not something they, they naturally learn on their own. I would say like for 99% of kids. I was going to say it's all, it's also circumstantial too, right? Like depends on the situation sometimes. Like your example Brenda yeah. where kids are two kids are playing and they're about to hit each other on the head. Okay, well maybe there's some intervention that's required. But like if you're telling yeah. a kid, okay, well you can't have ice cream for tonight and they have this huge meltdown, maybe mm-hmm. that's where you give them the space to like have that meltdown and like yeah. calm down yeah. with them rather than like giving them the ice cream mm-hmm. or whatever, right? But also what you said about, okay, telling telling a kid to calm down, they have no idea what calm down means. That I feel like that goes for everyone. <laughs> like if you tell an adult who's yelling at you to yeah. calm down, they probably get more angry too. So yeah, like no ages. one in history has calmed down just because you were told to calm down. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. That was, that was what I was going to say. I was, I was like, from the various relationships I've had, that is certainly one thing that... <laughs> I can echo that telling the other person to relax doesn't help them relax. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And like with kids, because they're so young um, and they're still learning language, like visuals is really important. You know, we care actually at school, we carry around a lot of picture cards just to kind of show them like, how do you want to calm down? Do you want to read a book? Do you want to do some breathing exercises? Because like at that point, when you just, when their emotions are really high and you keep talking to them, it doesn't work. Like they're not hearing you and they're, yeah, it's just things are escalating. So there's a lot of different strategies we use at school, but it's also what we tell parents. Like these are some strategies we use at school, try them at home too, you know? But at the same time, like I really recognize that a home environment is really different from a school environment and parents are human, humans, you know, they're, they're really trying hard as well. And they're not going to be able to employ these strategies every single time their child has a meltdown. You know, because parenting is really, really hard. And so while at the same time I'm, I'm saying these things, I also want to say to parents, like, you need to do what works for your family. And if, you know, this one time or these two times that like you lost it, you lost your patience and you yelled at a child, you're not a bad parent. You did not traumatize your child. <laughs> okay. Like it is really hard, you know, this business of parenting. And um, I think you do, you can come up with strategies with your, with your partner. You know, you can tag team. If you feel like you don't have the patience for it and you've already tried, just call them over and be like, okay, next, you know, tag team with your partner to parent because it won't work unless you're regulated. You know, you need to take care of yourself first. And a lot of times, like when parents tell me, oh, I snapped at my child or, you know, I I just lost my patience. It's because they didn't get enough sleep. They were not eating well. They were not exercising. They're there, but they themselves mentally and physically are not healthy. And so your threshold and your tolerance, your ability to parent, all of that is compromised. So take care of yourself first, you know, make sure that you are healthy and regulated so that you can be your best parent self with your child. Mm. Speaking of uh, being healthy and whether you're well 
fed or slept. I know it's soon to be your lunchtime, Brenda. So <laughs> I want to wrap up with bringing it back to the theme of our podcast. We're all about talking about our 30s, what it means to be in our 30s, what thriving in our 30s looks like. So you're mm-hmm. turning 36 this year. Oh my what gosh. Has a la- <laughs> it's so is that something you're Is that something you're sensitive about? <laughs> no, it's it's not. I mean, I don't think about it, but whenever someone once in a like that actually yeah. mentions the number, yeah. it's like, whoa. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So you're, yeah. So you're turning uh, 36 this year. What yes. do you think has allowed you to thrive in your 30s? Mm-hmm. I think of the people in my life that are my rocks. I think because as you go into your 30s, there's a lot of factors that change for both myself and the people around me. Like work is huge. Some people are climbing the ladder, right? Some people are starting to have kids. There's a lot of changes that sometimes are not anticipated. And what has really grounded me is to know who who is in my support network and who are we interdependent on. So I've got like three friends that are my rocks. And I know that no matter how busy they are, like my best friend has two young kids. She's a teacher full-time as well. Um, and, you know, other friends are dealing with other things. Everyone has life happening for them, but we know what our values are and what we mean to each other and that we find time to connect. So I think staying grounded is, yeah, knowing who those people are that are constants. Because I think when you move into your 30s, so many things happen. Priorities shift you know, um, people have children as we talked about today. And sometimes as a result of those shifts, things can not fall apart, but like you need to work at it to maintain those friendships and relationships with people in your life. And so it's also a time where you have really honest conversations and hard conversations with your friends. Because when my, when my friends started having children, it's like, oh, our friendships are going to change. I'm not going to see you. And there's disappointments that come along with those changes. But because they are really close friends to you um, and we have that, that relationship, you can have that conversation and be like, this is how I'm feeling. You know? And it's not like demanding anything, but just having, like holding space for each other as friends to be real about where we are in our, in our friendship. I've found that in my 30s, that's what I've been doing a lot. And with that honesty comes with that growth that continues to happen in your friendship. Um, and then that, I, I guess too, it links with values. So my top values are growth, connection, and courage. And just letting those guide you through all your decisions that you're making in your 30s, whether that is in your career or in your family or yeah, like if you decide to move elsewhere, keeping those values in mind and letting them guide you. I think it's incredible that you can even just say so obviously, oh, these are my values, growth, connection. What was the third Courage. one? Courage. <laughs> Courage. Courage, yeah. Like you, you say, it, I say it, and I know this is what you mean, but it's so obvious that this is a premeditated statement. Yeah. How many people, at least that I know, have that state value statement ready to go, right? If I put someone on the spot, they can probably think about it. I'm like, okay, I guess I value this. I guess I value that. But it's not a premeditated sort of statement that comes from many years of meaningful, deep, intentional reflection. 
so I am very inspired, I guess, that you have that value statement. It's almost like a company, like, a, you know, it's like our value, this is our value statements. Mission statement. Um, yeah. Well, the fact that <laughs> you're yeah. also the fact that you're able to say it like so quickly just shows that you like live it too. Like it's just kind of part mm. of your being like how the way you live is probably you just embody all those values. And that's why it's so like close to you and how you could just like, you know, say it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's developed through time, through experience. And I think a lot of it came from work as well. As I grew into my 30s, I realized I don't have a work self and a personal self. I just have a self, you know, and your values permeate through everything you do in life. I know some people are like, oh, leave your personal self at the door when you go to work. Like, that's just not how it works in life. And so I think it made it even more prominent how important it is to have really clear values because you're the same person where no matter what setting you are and who you are with. I feel like, uh, and I'm only mentioning it because, because you've disclosed it, Brenda, but uh, I feel like your uh, years of seeing your therapist probably helped you find those values too. Like it's a whole nother conversation, but how did you find them? I'm guessing yeah. you didn't just sit there thinking for 10 hours, be like, all right, here's, <laughs> here's my value statement. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so like connection, for example, it came about through therapy, you know, like why was I finding certain things in my life? So challenging it's because I wasn't feeling connected, for example. Yeah. Like therapy helps, but also just experiences at work experiences with other people, especially in challenging times. I find that that's when you really find out who you are. I feel uh, so grateful for you um, coming on today, Brenda, and being vulnerable and sharing your wisdom. I was like just kind of glued <laughs> to the screen and like fully listening and trying to absorb all this information. I thought it was super interesting, especially, um, you know, your experiences with early childhood education and the things that you've learned and the things that you teach. Um, I found that uh, super valuable. And I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate. Just wanted to say thanks for, for coming on because I think that was super helpful. Thanks for having yeah. me again, G. Yeah, and Dave. And me. <laughs> yeah, and you. <laughs> like, I mean, this is, like you said, very different from our weekly chats, right? I, I feel like there might have been quite a few things you learned about me today, Dave. <laughs> I was just going to say that I think I've learned quite a lot yeah. um, in general, objectively, but about, about the things that you know, but also about you. I probably should give you the same attention that I've done in the past hour in during our weekly chats, you know, one step at a time. But uh, yeah, growing up, uh, you and I were both, well, you were probably bigger and I followed in your footsteps because you're the older sister, but we were both a fan of that, th that 70s show. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's pretty cool that I have you now on uh, our little podcast here that we've uh, endearingly named that 30 show. So thanks for coming on to our show. Thanks for sharing Definitely. your story, as we said. I had a great and... time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that uh, little chat as well. And we will see you next week. That's a wrap. Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.